This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Take Off with John Clark, presented by Live Casino Hotel Philadelphia. And it is finally playoff time. Your Eagles, of course. <laughs> Number one seed for a fifth time. That's actually second most in the NFL over the last 21 years behind the Patriots. And this was such a good season. It kind of brought this guy out of retirement. It didn't last long. Ray Dittinger, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's nice to be back. So what was your uh, differential here? Like what would it have taken? Obviously you're coming back to work for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Was it like, how special of a season this is for the Eagles? Has you coming back for the playoffs? Like, what did it take to get you back? That's pretty much it. You know, if if this had been uh, four and thirteen, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> you would <laughs> but, stay uh, retired. Yeah, but the fact is that uh, I mean, this was such an extraordinary season uh, with the whole arc of it, uh, and then fourteen wins, club record, uh, number one seed in the playoffs. I mean, so many things happened this season that uh, actually my wife predicted this my wife said about mid-season when the eagles were just rolling uh she said you know i, I have a feeling that they're going to be calling you and asking you to come back and i said ah, i don't think so and sure <laughs> enough like like the very next day you know the phone rang and she said oh michael barkhead yeah uh, he's here <laughs> and that was when the conversation began and it really was just hey listen if they if they go to the playoffs would you be interested in coming back and being part of the postseason coverage? And given the nature of the season it's been, how could you say no? So I'm back, and uh, I'm looking forward to a nice long run. You're like Tom Brady. You can't stay away from it, right? Yeah, well, let's just hope she isn't like Giselle Bundchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. Um, and, and by the way, you're going to have to retire again after this season and then have it hanging out there so that next year, if they have another great year, you're back again for the playoffs. I wouldn't count on that. I think this is a, I think this is just a very special circumstance that, listen, John, it was, uh, uh, I mean, it was an amazing whole year. I mean, the whole Phillies run, the whole red October thing, and it just led right into this. It's been, uh, you know, and now you got the Sixers playing like they might actually make a run in the championship. I mean, this is a, if you're a Philly sports fan, this is a really good time. This is a really, really good time, and I'm glad to be part of it. And, you know, the interest that's on the Eagles right now, um, I mean, they're, they got a chance. I mean, you gotta be, I mean, there are some concerns. There's some issues right now, no question with the way they finished up the year. Uh, but for most of this year, uh, certainly for well through 13 weeks, they were the best team in the NFL. I mean, I, I think that it, it really wasn't even much of a question. They were the best team. Uh, and I didn't think there was anybody that could play with them. Now with a couple of the injuries and some of the way the, the, the season finished, I think it's fair to have some concerns, but this whole season is going to be defined by what happens over the next month. And um, they're they're still the number one seed. The whole NFC has to come through Philadelphia. And uh, right now, you know, they're 
they're very good. I mean, they really, they really are a good team. They're very well coached. And a lot of this all obviously hinges on the health and the readiness of the quarterback. If he can get out there and run the offense, they're going to be hard to beat. So that has me a little concerned. And what has me concerned is it was three weeks of time since the injury with the bears in Chicago to him being back on the field. And obviously if the game didn't mean anything, he probably would not have been out there or definitely would not have been based on the way Nick and Jalen have talked about it. Jalen said he was good enough to be out there. He pushed to play. He had to do some miraculous things to get out there and play with the sprained shoulder. And then Nick said he was hurting like hell. He didn't just say he was sore. He said he's hurting like hell and that he came out of it sore. So is that a little bit of concern for you that it was three weeks after the injury and we have another two weeks, but that he was hurting like hell in that game? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a lot of conversation after the game, after the Giants game on Sunday, um, where people were saying, well, Jayla looked rusty. Uh, and no, I, I think he looks hurt. <laughs> you know, there's a big difference between being rusty and being injured. Uh, and I think was there rust probably, but rust you can deal with rust. You can work through an injury, not so much. So, I mean, he's got a significant injury, uh, and Nick has as much of acknowledged it. And Jalen is as much of acknowledged it. I mean, it's, he's hurt, uh, and He's just going to, he's determined that he's going to see this thing through and he's going to do what he has to do to get ready to get on the field. But the real question is, how much does this compromise his ability to run the offense, the offense that got them here in the first place? I mean, that multidimensional offense that, that runs largely because of his ability, his dual ability to run and pass. If he can't execute that full offense and he's limited kind of the same way he was limited in the Giants game, you know, what does that mean for your long-term chances of winning in the postseason? Because to win this whole thing, and they still have a chance to win this whole thing, they need Jalen Hurts to play like the Jalen Hurts we saw over the course of the season. And can he get back there? That's really what the whole thing kind of hinges on. Obviously, he threw the ball a lot. I think it was nine straight passes to start the game for Jalen. Right. And they wanted to keep him out of harm's way with the zone read, the options and stuff like that. And Nick Sirianni told Mike Quick, we wanted to be careful with him. So obviously, the next time we see him, it's all on the line. So I imagine you will see the Eagles offense that we saw with his running ability. Question is, is his arm, you know, close enough to 100%? Because there were a couple passes that were behind the receiver, maybe a couple deep balls. He just didn't have the same velocity. A couple of them were pretty good. But he was different. So do you think that his arm will be close enough to 100% that he is the complete Jalen Hurts that we saw all year? I thought uh, I saw a couple of the things that you mentioned there. Uh, and there were a couple of balls he threw that were behind that were, um, I mean, he, we've seen him throw that ball better. But I thought on the whole, John, uh, looking back at it, and I went back and watched the whole thing all over again, uh, I thought he threw the ball okay. Uh, I, I did. I didn't see a whole lot of impairment in throwing the ball. Um, I, it, was, it was more a matter of his, not his inability, but their reluctance to allow him to run. Uh, the fact that they basically took the whole uh, zone read offense, the whole RPO thing, and they just put it aside for that week. And um, the couple times that he ran, he ran because the protection broke down and it was a basic scramble. But the the zone read stuff, the RPO stuff that has made this offense so dangerous this year, 
have allowed them to score a, a record number of points this year. Uh, it really all kind of works off of his running threat. You didn't see that in the last game. And for them to win the games that they're going to have to win moving forward, he's going to have to be able to find that again. I'll tell you, Ray, uh, you are the greatest historian of Eagles football that I know. You're a Hall of Famer. So this is kind of the modus operandi for the Eagles when they go to the Super Bowl. The last two times, back in 2004, you see the T.O. injury. I believe right. they were 13-1, and one, rolling, and then they sit the starters for the last couple games, I believe. So you don't see Donovan out there. You don't see a bunch of the starters. And obviously the team's not going to look as good. But then you get into the playoffs. And you had the two games at home. They go to the Super Bowl. Then 2017, they're rolling along. Carson gets hurt. Nick Foles did not look that good the last couple yeah. of weeks at all. But home playoffs, you have the bye. Nick Foles, they get everything right. So are we kind of following a similar thing here where we saw this team rolling? Best team in the NFC. But over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of concerns that pop up. Do you think that they're going to show up? home playoff game, and be like those other Eagles teams of the past that went to the Super Bowl? There is that history. Uh, and uh, if you're an Eagles fan, you can draw some comfort from that, that you've been you've been in this position before, where you had a great regular season, and then you got to December, and everything seemed to be great, and then you get this devastating injury that you think, you fear, derails everything. And both of those teams pulled it together, uh, made it through the NFC and got to the Super Bowl. First team didn't win. Second team did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can look at that, and I'm sure the coaches here have talked to the, their guys about it. Um, some of the guys, some of the older guys on this team lived through the 2017, so they've been through this. Uh, and that's, you know, that's that's kind of the situation you find yourself in. I, I think that typically um, you look – when you're looking at an NFL season, you're always worried and you always try to be as a, as a coach or player, you try to be peaking at this time of the year. You want to be playing your best football. You want to go in there. Everybody always talks about the teams that go into the play, into the playoffs with momentum. Uh, and that's what a tremendous advantage that is. And generally speaking over the course of time, it is that the hot teams generally tend to stay the hot teams and take it to the Super Bowl. The Eagles have been the exceptions. I mean, they've overcome this now twice. Now they're going to be asked to do it a third time. And I think that the fact that you have some veterans on this team that went through the 2017 experience, that saw the Carson Wentz injury, when a guy who was much like Jalen Hurts, the NFL MVP at that time, gets injured in the game, uh, and now the team has to cut up. Get, get along, listen for a couple of games, and then try and put the thing back together again. And you kind of limp and stagger and try and find your way. And then just get in the playoffs, you just kind of reinvent yourselves. They were able to do that in 2017. Can they do it again? Um, the difference is, in 2017, Carson Wentz wasn't coming back, and they knew that. 2017, Jalen Hurts is. The question is, can he get back to playing the same kind of football he played earlier this year? But I think the fact that you've got some of these veteran players that went through it before and can tell the young players what this is all about and what that next level of play is going to be like that they're going to face in the postseason, I think that kind of veteran leadership is very helpful. So we talked about the concern of Jalen Hurts and his health. How about Lane Johnson? Because I've seen an offensive line without Lane Johnson it's just different. It looks different. And they've had a hard time picking up the blitzes, of course, against the Giants. 
How concerned are you? Lane is going to try to gut it out, but that's a serious injury and that is tough to play through. So he may not be a hundred percent. How concerned are you about the O-line in the playoffs? Um, very, uh, because there's no question, you know, you know, Lane, I know Lane. There's no question that he's going to, he's going to play. Um, and he's going to do whatever he needs to do to get on the field and play. Uh, how close to, how close to his hundred percent is he going to be? I guess we'll find out. You know, I'll take 70% of Lane Johnson over just about any other right tackle in the NFL. I mean, he is that good. Um, I mean, he is, you could argue that he is, he's their best player. I mean, you could argue if you just, in terms of the, the, the level at which he plays his position, I don't think there's another player on this team that plays his position better than Lane Johnson plays right tackle. Uh, I mean, it, it, and not only does he not give up sacks, he doesn't give up quarterback hits. Um, they may have to do, if the coaches and Jeff Stoutland is a very good coach, um, he's going to probably have to be mindful of adjustments that he may have to make. I'm a little bit surprised that when they put uh, uh, Douglas, uh, when they put Driscoll in there uh, the last couple of weeks to play in Lane's place, that they didn't do more to give him some help on some plays. I mean, there are things you can do to help a right tackle if he's struggling. Um, it's it's not that hard to do just by formation. You could do it. And they didn't. I mean, they left Driscoll out there to play on his own. And, look, he gave it his best effort, and he played okay. But he certainly wasn't anywhere near Lane Johnson. And you're going to need to solidify that. And you hope that Lane can come back and play that position and not require you to do a whole lot of different things in terms of your play calling and your formation to make up for any kind of a deficiency there. But he'll be playing, but... He, his availability and his ability to be playing like Lane Johnson is going to have a lot to do with how far this team goes. So there obviously is some concern on offense, but when you look at their defense, uh, led the league in sacks at 70, you know, third most in NFL history. And to be in that same company as the Bears back in 84-85, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and then they have the best pass defense. I think they're giving up like 190 yards passing yards a game, uh, third or second in total yards per game. So this defense is ready to rock and roll. How much do you think the rotation on the defensive line, and you know, Brandon Graham, he's been getting fewer snaps over the last month and a half, and he's had more sacks. How much do you think that that is going to help keep this veteran defensive line really fresh? Well, that's been a big part of their success this year is having the kind of depth that they've had on the defensive line um, because the ability to rotate players has helped tremendously. I mean, if you look at just to take one example, look at Fletcher Cox. I mean, look at how much better he has played since these additions of Joseph and Sue. I mean, you brought those two defensive tackles in there and now all of a sudden, you know, Fletcher Cox doesn't have to play 70 snaps in the game. You know, he could be a, a rotation player. And at this point in his career, he's much better doing that. Uh, and he's played, I think, over the last month, really, really good football. And I think it's because of the fact that they're not leaning on him as much as they have been before. Uh, it would be very helpful if they get Josh Sweat back. Uh, and listen to Nick Sirianni talk yesterday. Um, it sounded as if Josh Sweat was trending towards being able to play next week which would be a good thing. I mean, Josh Sweat is, you saw this year that he really coming into his own as a player. I mean, just really improving and uh, 
uh, he's a he's a guy that you want to have ready to go in the postseason. So they have that depth on the defensive line, and you know you mentioned the stats. They've got seventy sacks. That's <laughs> a lot of sacks, uh, and the defense with Jonathan Gannon calling the plays is really built. For the most part, it's built for, to take away the big play, and they really have been very good at that. They, in terms of twenty-yard-plus passes, they have not given up very many either this year or last year. They don't give up big plays generally, uh, and that's you know, that's a good quality to have going into the postseason. Uh, because in the postseason, everything gets tighter. Uh, every first down is harder to get, and one big play can turn can flip a whole game. So. If you're a team that doesn't give up big plays, you you have a better chance to win. And the I the, I don't think that John Nathan is going to change his basic philosophy much in terms of cranking up the blitz. I don't expect him to coach like a Wake Martindale. It's just not his philosophy. Um, but he's going to he's going to have to rely on that front four to to get the pressure because from now on, every offensive line you play is going to be one of the better offensive lines. So it's going to be on those four guys to win those one-on-one matchups to get the pressure on the quarterback that can allow Dana to play the kind of coverage on the back end that he really wants to play. Opioid addiction is a national public health crisis. The Someone You Know podcast from the Independence Blue Cross Foundation offers inspiring stories that challenge stigma, offer hope, and humanizes the disease of addiction. So download the new season three of Someone You Know on all major podcast platforms. So what team out of these four possibilities that could be coming to the link in the first home playoff game, the Bucks, the Cowboys, or the Giants or the Seahawks, which of those teams concerns you the most, them coming to the link? Or maybe you don't have any concerns. It would probably be the Cowboys. It would probably be the Cowboys because even though they're very up and down, um, they can be really good. I mean, we've seen them be really good. And the fact is, I mean, they have beaten the Eagles eight of the last 11. Uh, and um, so they have, they've been able to play the Eagles and play them pretty good. I know Prescott has been, Prescott has been very mistake prone and has thrown some games away, but not many against the Eagles. Uh, he's played well against the Eagles. So Seattle, I wouldn't have any concerns about the Giants. You know, you, it's you don't like playing a team three times in one year and trying to beat them three times in one year. That's just hard to do, even if you're better than them. So I would rather I would rather not see the Giants. Um, obviously, the, the Seattle would be the team that I'd most like to see, but I think that's probably the least likely. Um, and Tom Brady and this time of the year is always a scary proposition. I'll tell you, John. Uh, I really think maybe I'm way off base on this. I think it's going to be the Giants. I, th- I think the Giants are going to beat the Vikings. I really do, uh, and that would be your that would be your matchup. But of all of those teams, if you ask me, what's the one team that would scare me the most? It would be Dallas because they have you know they've they've proven that they they can beat the Eagles and home or away it doesn't seem to matter much. I mean, only in the last five games against them, the only game that the Eagles won against the Cowboys was the one when Cooper Rush was a quarterback. So. Um, that would be. The, I know the fans would love to see Dallas just because they'd love to see Dallas and they'd love to beat Dallas. And there's so much history there. But if you're asking me, what's the one team I would I would say uh, I'd rather not it would probably be the Cowboys. Yeah, that's interesting because if the Cowboys were to come to the link, uh, you would actually be able to see Jalen Hurts versus Dak Prescott for the first time this year. Um, you know, it's interesting because 
I, I think we forget a tiny bit, you know, they were 14 and one with Jalen hurts and two losses down the stretch here with Gardner Minshew. Uh, he may have thrown for a lot of yards in Dallas played pretty well, but there were some mistakes. Um, and so, you know, that's a big loss. And then the saints loss was just bad all around. Right. Um, but it's interesting because the Cowboys, I think, match up well in a couple spots. And and number one, I'm concerned about slot cornerback because if Avante Maddox is not out there, you know who one of the best slot receivers is in the NFL with the Cowboys, CeeDee Lamb. Right. And and he 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 beat up on the Eagles in Dallas. So that would be a big concern to me. You saw CJ Gardner Johnson mix in there a little bit. At, at slot corner, do you think that's the way they would go in the playoffs if Avante's not there? No question. I I would be shocked if it were otherwise. And that's why getting uh, Gardner Johnson back from the injury was very important. Uh, because the Cowboys, it's, it's an unusual sort of offensive set in that they have their best receiver play in the slot. Most teams have their best receiver playing outside. Um, the Cowboys, clearly, C.D. Lamb is their best receiver, and he is primarily a slot receiver. Uh, and the Eagles had a pretty good matchup there with Maddox. Now, if, if you don't have him, you better have somebody that's his equal that can match up on C.D. Lamb, because you know that's where he's going to be. He's going to be in the slot on every snap. So having Gardner Johnson back gives them a better chance of making that play. But, you know, with the Cowboys, a lot of it a lot of it just comes back to Dak and uh uh, he can be really good, uh, and he can also make some terrible mistakes. Uh, and you see him just trying. And this this year, he's forcing more balls than that any time I can remember. Even back as a rookie, he wasn't forcing as many balls as he is this year since he's come back from the injury. Uh, I mean, it's, here's an interesting stat for you, John. Dak missed five games this year with the thumb injury. And he still led the league in interceptions. <laughs> now, that's a quarterback that missed five games and still tied for the league lead in interceptions tells you that there's, he is, you know, he, he is not playing really good football. And in the last three weeks, he's thrown not just picks, but pick sixes. So if he's on his game, they're a real dangerous team. But he's been so up and down. And again, making so many, not just poor throws, but poor decisions with the football that. Their postseason fate really determines on how on how he plays, and that's why I think the Monday night game is going to be a fascinating game. Is to see Dallas against Tampa, and see what kind of stuff Todd Bowles throws out there on his defense to try and force Dak Prescott into making some of those bad throws. That's going to be from an X's and O's standpoint. That's going to be a real fun game to watch. Yeah, 15 interceptions for Dak. But and the thing that worries me about Dallas is uh, how good they are on offense at everything and very balanced because they actually do have the best rushing attack with running backs in the NFL, rushing yards per game from running backs. So they can win in different ways. The, the Cowboys, uh, if, if they're able to beat the Bucs, I want to see Eagles-Cowboys. I mean, you, you are a historian of Eagles football. So if you go back to 1980 and some of the great games with Eagles-Cowboys in the playoffs, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, not so much the Donovan McNabb air guitar game, but uh, Tampa Bay is fascinating because we all say, okay, they've got injuries on the offensive line. Oh, well, the Eagles, they can get after that offensive line. But we saw last year in the playoffs, Tom Brady got that ball out quicker than anybody. And do you think that he would still be able to do that uh, at the link with Eagles fans going crazy? Because that game was in Tampa 
and they would have to go silent count. There's different things involved if the game was here in Philly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, if I had my druthers, I don't want any parts of Tom Brady in January. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, you, I mean, you, you touched on the key point is their offensive line, which was not very good coming into this season. Uh, and now they've got a couple more injuries. I mean, they are really, really hurting on the offensive line. And that's kind of why I like Dallas to beat Tampa Bay. A lot of people are picking uh, Tampa Bay to win this game. Uh, uh, but I don't know. I, I just don't know if we've seen this year when games when the Cowboys really have that pass rush going, um, they could really take a game over. And that, to me, I think is going to be the key there. Um, if they if they get the kind of pressure of Brady that I think they're going to get, it's going to make it really hard for him to make plays. I mean, yeah, no question that he's going to be getting the ball out quick, uh, but I just don't know if, if his offensive line can hold up long enough. Now, Brady has never lost to the Cowboys in his career. Uh, he's 7-0 lifetime against the Cowboys. Now, I don't know how much that means, how much that history factors in here, uh, and so there's a lot of people that kind of lean on that. Uh, but and when I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup, I still got to go with the Cowboys because I just don't, I just don't know if that offensive line in Tampa Bay is going to be good enough to hold up. Yeah, and you touched on the Giants-Vikings. To me, that's fascinating because uh, the Vikings are a 13-win team, but they're the first team in the history of the NFL to have 13 or more wins and have a negative point differential. How is that even possible? Well, if you've been seeing the Vikings all year, you can you know, understand how it's possible. They win every game by the skin of their teeth, and when they lose, they get blown out. Um, and we've seen them get blown. We've saw, certainly seen them get blown out by the Cowboys on a day when the Cowboys just took over the game. Um, that can happen. Uh, I think it's. A, I think the Giants are a really tough matchup for the Vikings. I do. I mean, they played on, on Christmas Eve. A lot of people saw that game, uh, and Vikings had a lot of big plays. I mean, they blocked field goal return for a touchdown. They had two or three takeaways, and they still needed a sixty-one yard field goal at the gun to win. Um, so. A lot had to go their way in that game, and they still had to scrape by in that one. Um, the whole key with the Vikings is Kirk Cousins and how does he play. Uh, if you look at the three games that they got really blown out this year, uh, they were games when the pressure got to him. He got sacked a dozen times through like six interceptions. Um, Cousins, even at this point in his career, is very susceptible to pressure and pass rush. And, you know, the the Giants defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, there is nobody in the league that's better at getting at getting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, he just comes off the bus blitzing, and he doesn't stop, and he's going after the quarterback. And that's what Cousins is going to face this week. The Giants are really going to be coming after him. Uh, and I think his idea is to try and get to him early, get in his head, and force him into some bad throws. And the Giants are going to be very conservative on offense because they don't really have that many playmakers other than Barkley. So I think they're going to come in, and they're just going to try and control the ball get first downs, run it with Barkley, get a few plays when they can, but really kind of let their defense dictate because I think they feel like they, if they get enough pressure on Cousins, he'll make the mistakes. Personally, you know, I I, I think the Giants are going to pull it off, and I think, that's who, I think that's going to be the Eagles' first opponent. I may be wrong about that, but if I had to pick it right now, I would pick the Giants. So that's your upset special of the weekend. Yeah, probably. I, yeah. Guess, I, I guess that's probably the upset. You know, this is – I think one thing's going to make this weekend fun is uh, for Wild Card Weekend is you're going to have you could have as many as seven quarterbacks making their first postseason start. Yeah, 
you know, you got all, you look at probably every game, you got a, a, a quarterback that is first taste of the postseason, which makes this incredibly unpredictable. You know, you got Tom Brady who's played a million of them and it's kind of a known quantity, but so many of these other guys have never been to the postseason before. And I think that's one of the things that's going to make this really, really fun. I agree, Ray. And it's fascinating because you look at Tom Brady, who's what, 45, and he's almost twice the age of most of the quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is the second oldest, and I think he's only 27. The rest of the guys like Hertz, Justin Herbert, all these guys are 23, 24, 25. So I agree with you. If it is the Giants that come to the link uh, a third time, that, that would be fascinating because obviously in the first game at MetLife, the Eagles just blew them out. I think the most points they've ever scored for an away game uh, beating the Giants and then the Giants not playing their starters. That's very interesting because the Eagles would not have faced the Giants starters at home. Um, But I think the Giants a little bit play into the Eagles hands because if the Eagles are able to stop the run or slow down Saquon, you know, you can't really throw on the Eagles and the Giants don't have much of a passing attack. No. So, you know, that would, I think that would be a good matchup for the Eagles. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't think that the Giants would score very much because uh, they just aren't built to do that. They, I'd say one of the things, that team's coming along. I mean, Dable's a good coach, uh, and I think they're in better hands than they have been for a while. But they need some weapons. I mean, they really need they really need to give they really need to give Daniel Jones a little bit more in the passing game. Barkley is it, either running or pass, either running or receiving. He's kind of their whole offense. So uh, I don't think that they would score many points against the Eagles. I think it would be just a, kind of a grinded out game. But what would really, I think, tell you how that game's going to turn out would be on the other side of it. You know, how healthy is Jalen Hurts? Can he run the offense the way he ran it a month ago in the Meadowlands? When you're right, I mean, they just crushed the Giants that game. The last game, working with that very limited offense, you saw Martindale again when he realized that Hurts wasn't going to run. He changed his defense, and all of a sudden, he just started bringing all kinds of pressure off the edges because he didn't have to worry about Hurts running the football. And it really made it hard for the Eagles to make plays. And, uh, you know, how many how many free runners did you see coming through on, on Hurts, which you don't normally see? Uh, if he's limited in the same way, if they have to play them again in two weeks, it's going to be a real challenge for the Eagles' offense. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, I imagine, just like most everybody, Everybody has the 49ers coming to the link in the NFC title game if the Eagles make it. Um, 49ers, wow. I mean, 10 straight wins, great coaching job, the addition of Christian McCaffrey. And and that defense, D'Amico Ryans, is doing a great job. They stopped the run better than anybody in the NFL. And those guys on the defensive line, they can get after you, uh, led by Nick Bosa. So Eagles, 49ers, that would be a great matchup. It's a really good one. It's a really good one because you can see it coming. I mean, you could really see it coming. I mean, right now, um, if if you're looking at this, and, and I'm trying to be objective, looking at the way this thing's going to play out. Right now, I don't. I, I would be shocked if it were anything other than Eagle San Francisco here, uh, and that's going to be a really tough matchup because the 49ers are that team that we were talking about, the team that's coming in playing great, the team that's coming in with a ton of momentum, and they're really good on both sides of the ball. I mean, the defense is outstanding, uh, and they have so many weapons on the offense. Uh, I mean, they, they really do. McCaffrey, the addition of McCaffrey has really changed that whole offense. I mean, it hurts you running the ball, catching the ball. 
Samuel is a very versatile player. Kittle is a terrific tight end. Ayuk is a really good receiver that you have to cover kind of one-on-one, and he wins those battles all the time. They have a good offensive line and they have a great play caller in Kyle Shanahan. Um, the one issue is the young quarterback, you know. I mean, we're talking about how many first-time postseason quarterbacks we're going to see this weekend. Well, here you got Mr. Irrelevant is taking a team into the playoffs and has a chance to maybe go all the way. Um, you keep waiting for that hiccup. You keep waiting for, you know, Brock Purdy to all of a sudden kind of wake up and say, wait a minute, I'm in the playoffs and start playing like a rookie. There hasn't been any evidence of it so far. I mean, he has he has played with complete composure, doesn't make any mistakes. You look at the touchdown-interception ratio, it's excellent. Uh, and you just watch him every week. He's, he's getting more comfortable and more confident in his play. And the fact that he has so many good players around him, and he has a great play caller, Kyle Shanahan, in his ear. Uh, I don't want to say it's making it easy, because playing quarterback in the NFL is never easy. But it allows him to play about as good as a rookie can play. And he's done everything they could ask of him. I know some people are saying, well, geez, if they get to the Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be healed. They could switch. No. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if this kid gets into the Super Bowl, trust me, he's going to be the guy under center, and he should be. It's the Brock show. You can't take him out if they get to the Super Bowl. That would be ridiculous. Um, no, Ray, I know. Ray, Ray, you have seen, I mean, honestly, how many years of Eagles football have you watched? Oh, my. Well, well, starting as a fan, um, geez, 1956. Wow. So as a, as a, as a 10-year-old watching them, and then I've been covering them since 1970. So, so when you look at this season, this regular season, 14 wins set the mark, uh, even without the starting quarterback for two games. And, right. and you look at some of the records they've set with the most sacks from the defensive line. And then first time ever, they've had three players uh, with that many yards from scrimmage with AJ Brown, Devonte Smith and Miles Sanders and the quarterback MVP conversation and AJ Brown fourth best, you know, as far as receiving yards in the NFL, where would you rank the regular season in, in seasons that you've seen in birds history? One. The best. The best. And I think you would have to say it is, John, uh, just in terms of everything that you just cited. 14 wins, unprecedented, uh, a, you know, a ton of records, um, the 70 sacks, record for points scored, record for touchdowns scored, record for receivers. Uh, A.J. Brown breaks the receiving record. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a boatload of <laughs> records that they've set on both sides of the ball. Uh so, yeah, I mean, it's it's not an overstatement to say that this was the best regular season in Philadelphia Eagles history, a, a history that goes back to 1933, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it won't mean anything if they don't finish the job. You know, it's you know, when people, someone's asking me, is this the best team in Eagles history? I said, I'll tell you in a month. I mean, <laughs> if, they, if they go on, if they go on and they win the Super Bowl, you can probably say that it was. You know, if they if they finish this regular this regular if they top this regular season with a postseason run that leads to a Super Bowl victory, and we're all back on the Parkway for another February parade with the Lombardi Trophy, I think you can step back and say, you know what, we just saw the greatest season in Naples history because at that point it will be. But until that, you kind of have to. The only thing you can say, fairly, is this was the best regular season. In terms of wins, in terms of accomplishment, in terms of dominance, I mean, they were all of that. But now, now we go to the other season, and that's where they have to really prove themselves.
Yeah, that is a great point. Uh, it's interesting because when you look at both sides of the ball, uh, offensively, you know, Howie Roseman took a lot of heat in this town for the couple years after the Super Bowl, even though he put together a Super Bowl roster and they brought Nick Foles back, which ultimately led them to winning. And don't forget about Big V, you know, first quarterback and left tackle, losing their starters, winning a Super Bowl. So Howie Roseman, I can't remember a time when you got this big of an impact player on both sides of the ball. A.J. Brown, top five receiver statistically in the NFL. You could argue for what he did for Jalen Hurts, being his good friend, he's one of the absolute top two or three receivers in the NFL. And then defensively, I don't think Hassan Reddick gets the credit around the country that he should because, I mean, what is it, 16 sacks, second best behind Bosa, and I think he leads – in forced fumbles and fumble recoveries and getting after the quarterback hits on the quarterback second best pass rush win rate. I mean, have you ever seen these additions on both sides of the ball with this much impact? No, you're, you're absolutely right. How we should get tremendous credit for this um, because uh, he was instrumental in building the 2017 team, the team that won. Uh, and every year the pro football writers of America, have a vote for executive of the year, not player of the year, not coach of the year. Those are different words. They have a vote for executive of the year and how he won it in 2017, and justly so. I mean, if you look at how he built that team and the guys he brought in, um, you know, Chris Longs and the Jay Ajayes and, and the guys that came in, Torrey Smith, um, and you know, all those guys that came in and just were perfect fits everywhere. Uh, it was a great job. It was a great job as the executive and it wound up winning the Super Bowl. Since then, you know, some bad drafts, some bad draft picks, we all know what they were. Uh, and the team seemed to be in decline. And listen, John, in this all past off season, how many times did you hear, because I know how many times I heard people say, oh, we got to get rid of Howie Roseman, you know, or, oh, God, we have all of these first-round draft picks. I wish somebody else was making them. <laughs> you know, I mean, Howie was really under the microscope this offseason and under tremendous pressure uh, to, to really kind of rebuild this team. Because he had, because of the draft picks he had, uh, they had the, they had the wherewithal to get better. But it was all contingent on him making the right decisions, and he has. Um, and he's he had a really good draft. Uh, the trade for AJ Brown was a masterstroke. I mean, he comes in this year. Like I was not aware of the relationship between he and Hertz. Like I didn't know the history of those two guys. I knew he was a hell of a player. But, I mean, when you combine that with the fact that these guys had this great relationship and chemistry and all, then it was even better. Uh, and then in season, when you had some issues on the defensive line and you had some issues stopping the run, he just goes out and gets Linville Joseph and, and Dominican Sue and just plugs them right in there, and all of a sudden the whole defense gets better. The siding of Bradbury, you know, I mean, all of these, there were some questions about Bradbury. He was coming off a bad year. Uh, was he worth that money? Well, now he and Slayer are probably the two best quarters in the NFL pair. Howie built a really good team and picked up an extra first-round draft pick in the process. So, <laughs> listen, if yeah. he was executive of the year in 2017, and he was, rightly so, I think he's in position to win it again this year, and he probably should. Yeah, getting that 10th pick in the draft this year from the Saints, I, I mean, that's robbery. It's unbelievable how that turned out. Um, yep. and, and it's fascinating, Ray, because – you know, a lot of people talk about his mistakes with the draft, but every single offensive starter right now, except for A.J. Brown, bringing in A.J. Brown, they were all drafted by the Eagles. So, right. I, I mean, that Jalen Hurts draft pick, 
I mean, I might, that could be a 30 for 30 someday if he goes and has a career kind of similar to the year that he had here in his second full season starting. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see what Jalen Hurts has done. Yeah. And, and who saw that coming? I mean, there was, uh, I'll, I'll admit, you know, when they picked Jalen Hurts in the second round, I said, what? I mean, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I had Hurts as a late third round pick. Uh, and I knew some people that had him as a four. Um, when the Eagles picked him in the second round, I talked to a bunch of people and said, what are the Eagles thinking? I mean, they didn't even have him valued that high. And then you combine the fact that, wait a minute, you already got Carson Wentz using a second round pick on a quarterback. Where does that make any sense? But, um, when you see where they are now, uh, and you see the player that Jalen Hurts has become, I mean, it, it was a great pick. I mean, people will forever talk about Jalen Rager <laughs> and the first pick. Uh, I mean, people will always there. People will always carp about that, and that's fair. I mean, it was a mistake, no question. But in the second round, you come back and you pick a guy that right now is playing the quarterback position as well as this guy's playing, and coming off a year when he won't win the MVP. Obviously, that's probably going to go to Mahomes now. But I mean, you could make a very strong case that Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. I won't argue about that. He is. But in terms of the most valuable player to his team, I'm not so sure that Jalen Hurts still is the most valuable player. If, if you go by the strictest definition of the most valuable player to his team, I would argue that Hurts is the equal of Mahomes, if not more. Yeah, and you're right, especially with the way they have designed the perfect offense for him with the read option and the running, and, and it opens up things for Miles Sanders. It opens up things for everybody because you got to face all 11. All 11 on offense. Um, Ray, I tell you, it's fascinating what the Eagles have done. Before I let you go, I'm going to put up this uh, this book here. Now, finished business, um, unfinished business this year, but the book is out there. It's doing well still, of course, with this great season. Um, are you contracted to do another book if the Eagles go to the Super Bowl? As a matter of fact, Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, I think people know that I did uh, the book called Eagles Encyclopedia. Uh, I did I did three editions of it. <laughs> uh, and the most recent one was after the Eagles, after Super Bowl 52 and the Eagles won it. Uh, we felt like we had to do a whole new edition that included the Super Bowl. So we did. Uh, and the people at Temple University Press, we've been in discussions for the last six weeks saying, hey, listen, if they win this thing again, we're going to have to do it again. They're going to have to put out another edition of Eagles Encyclopedia that includes everything in the history of the team through the most recent Super Bowl. So, yeah, that may happen. But we do know that finished business is out there now, and that's that's really uh, my look back over my 53 years in the business covering sports in Philadelphia and all the great players and all the great teams that I've covered and what a wonderful ride it's been. That's, that's finished business, and that is out, and that is available. And... If the Eagles win in Arizona, coming soon to a bookstore near you, will be the Eagles edition, the Eagles Encyclopedia Champions edition too. <laughs> so you're not retired. You can't go. It, it would. You're not done. Yeah. No, uh, this hasn't quite worked out the way I thought it was. Just, I mean, I really when I re when I retired in May and had the big farewell bye bye and everything. I mean, I thought by now I'd be sitting on a sitting under a palm tree somewhere with an umbrella drink just watching the world go by and it hasn't turned out that way, but I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I, I love the Phillies run in October. It was tremendous. It was a lot of fun. And as I said, this Eagles regular season was the best in franchise history. I was glad I was here to see it.
Yeah, that's great. I just drove in here to work at the Wells Fargo Center, and I saw the Phillies have now put up the National League champions banner at Citizens Bank Park. And then you look across, there's the link, and you're like, wow, the Eagles have a chance to do the same thing and be the NFC champions and go to the Super Bowl. I mean, you've seen all these years of Philadelphia sports. I think for me in my lifetime, this would be the first time that they've had I mean, I think 08 Phillies, of course, won the World Series, and then the Eagles went to the NFC title game in Arizona. So that's similar. Um, but this is this is magical, something that only comes along maybe every 15 years, 10, 15 years. Yeah, and then this town even less. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's uh, – uh, and, I mean, the only year – the only year I can remember that I could say, yeah, it was better than this, was 80. It was 1980 when the Phillies won their first World Series. The Eagles went to their first Super Bowl. Uh, and the Sixers and the Flyers both went to the finals. All of that happened in one season. Um, that would be hard to top. But this one, I mean, with the Phillies knowing what they did, uh, in such an exciting fashion, too. I mean, so much drama. Uh, and really rekindling Philadelphia's love of baseball, which he really did. And October and November was magical around here. I mean, everybody had a Phillies hat on. Everybody had a Phillies hoodie on. It was exciting. And then the dovetail off of that right into this Eagles season where, yeah, for most of the year, they were the best team in the league. It's It's been a great time. I mean, we've, we've certainly gone through some arid periods in Philadelphia sports. There's been a lot of droughts and there's been a lot of heartache over the years. But when it gets good, and it's good right now, man, this is a great place to be. Yeah, we're allowed to be happy in Philly, aren't we? I Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, it's really cool when you see guys who, like Craig Kimbrell, for example, uh, to just signed with the Phillies, said one of the reasons that he wanted to sign with the Phillies was watching the postseason baseball, the games from Philadelphia, and seeing that excitement and that energy in the crowd. Um, said, yeah, I, I, I would love to play there. Um, the fact that Philly, listen, Philly fans take so many knocks over the, over the years, about bad fans and booing and all of that stuff, snowballs. I mean, we all know the history. But when it's good here, it's real good. And the fact that you see guys in other cities say, well, there's a place that I would love to play or talk to the guys who are here now, like Bryce Harper, who's a tremendous salesman for Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, you want to play here. You want to play in front of these fans to see that kind of energy in this city as a native Philadelphian, man, that makes me feel great. Absolutely. And Dave Dombrowski said that was a number one conversation starter when he went to meet with all the shortstops that they met with and other free agents. They they talked about the crowd and what they saw on television because that came through the television wherever anybody was watching it around the country. And Trey Turner mentioned, I want to be a part of that. And I agree. Bryce Harper is a great salesman for this city. I'm going to leave you with one final question. Who is the biggest superstar in the city of Philadelphia right now? Bryce Harper, Jalen Hurts. Or Joel Embiid? Wow. Good question. Good question. Um, not to take anything away from the other guys, um, but I would say Harper. I, I, would, I would say Harper. I mean, what what he's done with that team, um, I, mean, I mean, he put them on his shoulders down the stretch this year. Uh, and that home run to win the San Diego series in the bottom of the eighth, I mean – John, that's Roy Hobbs stuff. You know, I mean, that's that that's the exact moment you're waiting for. The moment of peak drama. You want your big guy at the plate, and he delivers the way he delivered. Yeah, he's the guy right now. 
I mean, the other guys are great, and I, I, I made my case for Hurts as the MVP, and Lord knows if they take a Super Bowl and he plays it all the way, we may want to revisit this conversation. But if I had to make the pick right now, it would be Harper, because for everything that was expected of him and everything that was asked of him when he signed that contract to come here, he's given us all of that and more. Yeah, I actually get chills right now thinking about the visual, that moment of Harper's home run and everybody in the stands jumping into each other's arms. It was just people jumping up and down. That is the moment of 2022. Let's hope the Eagles can top it in 2023. That'd be amazing. Uh, well, you and I will be there to see it. You got it. I'm glad you're back with us. Ray Diddy is back for uh, unfinished business. <laughs> unfinished business in 2023. My pleasure, John. Always great to be with you. Oh, mom, so flagrant.